What is with that face she's making? I don't know. Are we disturbing you, Lola? I'm Lisa. And I'm Sean. We're a married couple, and we like to talk about... The The Beach Beach Boys. Boys! Want to intro this, or should I intro this, or? I don't know. I don't have an intro. Neither do I. At the Two Next Podcast, we can't just jump into the body. That doesn't really work very well. Well, don't we have like a theme song and? It, it already happened at this point. Everybody heard it by now. Oh, okay. But uh, hi, everybody. Um, welcome to. Well, this is. We know this is going to be episode two. So uh, you know who we are from the intro. So we're not going to have to repeat everything. And we're recording it in our living room, not on a beach in Southern California. Yeah, and not in a hotel room. And uh, yeah, we actually have microphones and equipment and preamps and stuff. And a sleeping beagle. And a sleeping beagle, yeah. The only problem is we live on a really busy street and sometimes the traffic might leak into the from the windows, but... Well, not so much the traffic, but we're just down the street from a fire station yes. and we're on a street that goes right to Lakeshore Drive so if the fire station gets a call they often come screaming down our street um by the way before i forget i just want to th- we we got some really nice uh, compliments from uh, people on various internet based forums such as the uh, bookface and endless harmony and other things and uh, there's one that I do want to share with everybody that I thought was really cool. Ooh. This comes from Barnsey on the Endless Harmony Forum. This is uh, talking about primarily, I think, our little episode zero or introduction. A really nice touch recording it with the ocean waves in the background. I know exactly what Lisa means when talking about having an emotional connection with the Beach Boys music that you don't get with anyone else. The Beatles are my second favorite group, but are more of an intellectual appreciation and are quite some way behind my love of the Beach Boys. Talking about the Beatles gives me the opportunity to trot out two tangential connections I have to them. First is that my dad, who was from the Dingle, knew Ringo. Uh, Roy Trafford, Ringo's best mate, was my dad's cousin. Ooh. And secondly, I was born in the same hospital as Macca, but my dad is no longer with us and the hospital has been demolished. Such is the way of things. That's actually a really cool connection. Well, two really cool connections right there. It just made me kind of think of how there's like Beach Boys mind and Beatles mind. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a hard time shifting from one to the other. Like the Beach Boys channel just finished (sighs) this past week. And after listening to it a lot over the last two months, the Beatles channel just right now... I mean, I'm listening to it, but it's it's just. I hear you, and I totally I totally agree with that because the two times since we've had Sirius XM, well, you've had Sirius XM, really. That there was a Beach Boys channel, you had that thing cemented mm-hmm. on that channel the whole freaking well, summer. It's my dream come true. I know, I know, <laughs> and yeah, we do have all the music. We have CD copies of all the music. We could just put in an ipod or or our phones or something put it in shuffle and still get something like that but but still it's not the same and there's always things that i'm introduced to like things i just never really paid much attention to before things like the last time the beach boys channel was on 
I realized I hadn't listened to Leaving This Town in a long time. Uh. And I became reacquainted with that song and how great it is. This time, I'll be honest, I really haven't delved into the bamboo music like I should because Dennis is awesome. But the channel introduced me to Constant Companion, which is an amazing song. I mean, I I like to kind of think that in an ideal world, Dennis would have performed that as the musical guest on Saturday Night Live with that horn section I that they totally had. I totally see that. In, you know, because that was circa 1978. If that had come out around that time and he could have had the Saturday Night Live band behind oh. him, it would have been outstanding. Man. So, yeah. And... I mean, we have so much stuff, you can't listen to it intensely all the time. So just live versions that I never really listened to, but heard on the channel that I really enjoyed. And I mean, there are other times like, say, after 9-11. Sure. I turned to the Beatles for a while because they just gave me what I needed at that time. Just that kind of how their music just kind of felt like it was for everybody. Sure. And I got a lot of comfort from Beatles music in the, the days after 9-11. I was also leaning more toward the Beatles. Mm-hmm. This time, I'm really feeling the withdrawal, though, because we had the Beach Boys channel all summer. Well, except right up until the end of August, that is. It's mm-hmm. still summer, but, they, but no nah. Beach Boys channel. If the air conditioner is on, it's summer. Well, yeah. (laughs) Okay, if the air conditioner is on and the beaches are open, it's summer. Yeah, but the beach season ends tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're (laughs) recording this on Labor Day weekend, by the way. But yeah, the withdrawal has really affected me because we got this Beach Boys channel presented to us. And from what I understand, the I, I keep forgetting the name of the company that bought out a percentage of the rights to the Beach Boys, but... A lot of that apparently was their doing, and we got that, and then we got the Feel Flows box set, which also apparently a lot of credit should go to the new buyer. Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to do a quick Google search so that we don't get flooded with emails and comments saying, it's it's uh, whatever that is. And we don't just end up calling it like Frank or something. I think it's Irving or something. Yeah, Irving Azoff. Irving Azoff. And... uh, that is the Iconic Artists Group, Okay, that, uh, what he's in charge okay. of. And we have him to thank. I think he deserves a lot of credit for the Beach Boys channel and for the Feel Flows box set. We get presented with the Feel Flows box set at the tail end of August, and here we are just listening to it. And after listening to the Beach Boys channel all this time, I cannot get out of it right now. Mm-hmm. I've been using our turntable a lot lately. I listened... Not just to the British copy of Sunflower that I bought in Vegas in 1996, but also your Brother Reprise copy. I listened to 10 Years of Harmony today. I listened to the Beach Boys Love You yesterday. I think last week I spun 15 big ones. I've just been going through this massive Beach Boys thing. And Esquivel, of course. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, I, get, I got a really good sounding vinyl, Let It Be Naked. Uh, I love the yellow vinyl, yellow submarine song track. Oh, I should spin that. No, why, why should I do that when I have 10 years of harmony right here? So it's, it's hard to get away from it right mm-hmm. now. It really yeah. is. But speaking of feel flows, 
I don't know about, well, I do know about you because you actually suggested how we're going to approach this today. But my thought was our first episode, our first official episode after episode zero was going to be our thoughts on the Feel Flows box set. And as I said in the intro to last week's episode, we found that we just couldn't do it. We could not do it because it was just so overwhelming that we just had to take some time to gather our thoughts. But then you came up with an alternative idea that I think is much better. Well, my idea is, first, we'll talk a little bit about feel flows. Oh, yeah. But then you realize that feel flows is another in a long journey of releases that almost feel like it's gifted to the fans. Yes. Things that are archival releases that have been put together with a great deal of care. I mean, as Beach Boys fans, I don't know about those of you who are listening, but I know for a long time, I felt like I was the only one. I was the only nut in the world who cared about music beyond what was on Endless Summer. Right there with you. And even after getting on the internet, finding the Usenet groups and Pet Sounds mailing list and just all the different forums that I've been on over the years, it still kind of feels like there's only 10 of us. I know that's not true. Of course. I, I mean, just look at in the uh, Beautiful Dreamer documentary when, <laughs> when they're you know, showing the um, people going into the first Smile concert, people saying where they're from, and it's all over the world. Literally. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even people who weren't in there, I mean, I know for a fact there were people from all over the United States, from Japan, from South Africa, from Hong Kong, from LA, from, <laughs> from all over Europe. It's not just us. It's not just 10 people. No. But it still feels remarkable how Capitol Records puts together collections for fan bases that aren't the Beatles, because we know that there are millions and billions of Beatles fans oh, yeah. all over the world of all different ages and sizes and shapes and colors. And you think, okay, they know if they put something out, it's going to sell like a billion copies. I mean, remember when they put out one that had no new material on it? Nope. It was remastered. It was nicely least. remastered. It sounded pretty good. And it was nice to have this collection all on one CD. But- it sold more than the Backstreet Boys. That's right. <laughs> Who at that time were the biggest group ever. Yeah. <laughs> so you would think, okay, they're going to do that sort of thing for Beatles fans. They're going to do that sort of thing for Rolling Stones fans. But you think as a Beach Boys fan, like, oh, we're just over here in the corner eating potato chips or something. <laughs> oh, from the party album? Yes, exactly. That's why I said that. <laughs> But hey, the Feel Flows box set, though, I just have a tiny, tiny little story just to tell. I'm, I'm going to leave out a lot of details because it would take forever to explain and there's a big story behind it and you're better off with Peter. But there was a comment thread, I think on Sail on, on the Sail on Podcast Facebook group, there was something that David Beard from Endless Summer Quarterly kind of called me out on and I thought he was kind of missing my point, but I totally understand why he called me out on it. And before I could hit return to submit the comment, the comment thread was deleted. So it went nowhere, but I really wanted to kind of explain myself and say, Hey, here's where I'm coming from. So I private messaged him. We're not Facebook friends, but he still responded to it. And 
we had a really nice conversation and uh, he kind of veered off a little bit and said, by the way, what do you think of Feel Flows? And what I said to him was, it's a gift at any price you pay for it. I want to get the negative stuff out of the way, just just to get it out there. And it's even not really that bad. And um, it's basically just kind of the liner notes. It's the only thing I could think of that needs improving. First of all, it need, they need to be proofread. There are some typos in there and some awkward sentence constructions that I had actually had to read twice to understand. But it's not really a huge, huge deal. I did feel that the liner notes were lacking in describing the music in the set. It's more like, oh, isn't Sunflower wonderful? Isn't Surf's Up wonderful? Of course, sure. And this is a, we're so excited to present this set to you. And you should be, because it's a fantastic set. But I really would have liked to have known a little bit more of the stories behind the songs. All we have are just parenthetical notes in the track listing. The other thing is the live tracks are very vague. It just says live followed by the year. There's no date. There's no venue or anything. I have a funny feeling that maybe a future issue of Endless Summer Quarterly is going to talk about this and go through those kind of details, in which case, yeah, um, I'm going to be reading that thing cover to cover the first thing it comes into the mailbox. And one thing about the liner notes I have to talk about right now, Brian's comment on good time. He says, and I quote, that's all about a girl who had to use falsies, you know, false breasts. <laughs> This is why we love Brian. Oh, Brian, don't ever change. <laughs> this is kind of a negative, but not a, not a negative at the same time. It's just something that kind of flowed through my mind uh, that what would have been cool if they had included, but didn't in they didn't include actually, either because it just plain doesn't exist or they couldn't find it or whatever. I would have loved to have heard a version of Feel Flows with those lyrics at the very end that are in the printed lyric sheet in Surf's Up and 10 Years of Harmony. You have those right next to you, but I'm not going to ask you to dig them out right now. Good, because I'm not. Good. But I'm going to go by memory. I think it was something like, whether heaven's hopes will ever return, whether surface joy will ever be found, doesn't matter if it's ever around, feel flows, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. There was no recording of those lyrics on, on the set. There's a chance they just might not exist. That's all there is to it. That would have been nice to hear. And it also would have been nice to hear a version of feel flows before they put that reverse reverb effect on Carl's voice just to hear. I guess what you could do is just go to YouTube and find any concert performance, like particularly the uh, 1977 Largo concert at the, uh, oh, that place where your aunt fell down the stairs, uh, the Capitol the Center. Ca <laughs> yeah. And of course, what I think is one of the few Holy Grails left to find in the Beach Boys archives, what we think was recorded in 1971 the Sail on Sailor demo. Mm. Brian's saying, hypnotize me, Van Dyke. And Van Dyke Park says, oh, cut the shit, Brian. Well, perhaps that is being saved for a Holland So Tough set. Oh, oh mm. which Alan Boyd said they're working yeah. on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the liner notes. I, I was expecting a lot more sessionography. Yeah. And especially because there was such extensive information in the Sunflower and Surf's Up issues of Endless Summer Quarterly. Sure. Which 
they're practically dog-eared now because I kept looking <laughs> and see like, who played kazoo on this track? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I like to know these things. <laughs> I, I, I like to know who's playing what. I don't know why. I just do. And I also find it interesting, like, dates that things were recorded and locations. And I like that stuff. And I was expecting to see that because it was in ESQ. Sure. I was expecting to see that in the field flows notes and was a little disappointed that it wasn't. So maybe we'll get more of that on some other source or it'll be posted online or sure. something like that. But one thing I did love from the liner notes, yeah, I'd like to quote something that really got to me. It's near from near the end of Howie Edelson's Oh, God essay. bless Howie. The Beach Boys catalog follows you through life, like a musical calendar or diary. In these confusing days when everyone is desperate for a little rest, a little kindness, and a little peace of mind, the Beach Boys feel like home. They represent our past, present, and most beautiful key. I got goosebumps. That's Serious very goosebumps. Well said, Howie. Very, I mean very that good that is there. just absolutely that's beautiful and that just really captures a lot for just what this music means to me. Now while you still have that in your hands, I don't know if you noticed this has been brought up on at least one or two forums, but if you flip to the back where the CDs are, mm-hmm. you'll notice that the blue pages have orange streaks and the Orange pages have oh, blue streaks. Yeah. And people were wondering, is that a printing error? Did something bleed through? I really don't think it was. I think that was totally intentional because for one thing, as you'll notice right now, you have the uh, thing open to two orange pages. Notice that when you have an orange on top of orange, you still have the blue ink hmm. kind of bleeding through. And also, they released so far at the time of this recording, three so-called chapters of videos to coincide with the Feel Flows box set. The title card on each of those videos has that ink smear. I am 99 and 44 hundredths percent sure that that is totally intentional. Hey, if there are faults, one thing you got to consider too is that we're still in the midst of a global pandemic and there have been production problems with all different industries all over the world. I mean, hey, as long as I've got the music, I can deal with everything else. Yeah, and which brings me to this point, in that uh, little uh, private conversation that David Beard and I had, I think the last thing he said to me in that was, you need to get off social media and listen to Feel Flows and just let the music just kind of absorb right into you. Oh, you mean you need to listen to it in the dark with headphones and you'll hear everything? He didn't say that, but I'm sure that's what... And the thing is, <laughs> the next night, some, many of you listening probably already know about this, but there's a weekly live Facebook show hosted by two brothers, Greg and Matt, called Beach Boys Talk. They were giving away the two-disc vinyl version of the Feel Flows set. And, that, and I'll confess, that was the reason I listened and watched that show because they were pulling it from people who were still online. I got to tell you, that was such a fun watch. And I'm definitely going to be tuning in more on Tuesdays if I have an opportunity to do so. David Beard was a, was one of the guests, along with Alan Boyd. And if you did not catch that broadcast, that Facebook, whatever you want to call it, there is a recording available. You got to watch it. It was so good. Alan Boyd had a lot of great stuff to say, including about what's coming up in the future. But David Beard repeated the same thing he told me privately during this Beach Boys Talk show. 
He said, everybody get off social media and listen to feel flows and just let the sound just soak into you. Well, that's kind of what we did. We spent a lot of last weekend. We did, except I was taking notes. And I think I still had Facebook open just in case somebody needed to reach out to me. (laughs) Yeah, but still, it's not like we were just listening to it while doing other things. We were really, really paying attention to it and just getting blown away by the Dennis material. Yeah. And I mean, I've said it before and I will say it again. I dare say that Dennis had as much, if not more, musical aptitude than Brian His talent is amazing. His songwriting, his producing, and that he played piano and organ and, you know, multiple instruments. And I mean, he didn't have the personal study that Brian had had. You know, he didn't spend his teenage years dissecting four freshman records like Brian did or training his voice. I don't know when Dennis came into really getting into music or when he learned how to play piano and organ. I mean, from what I understand, growing up in the, especially in Audrey Wilson's home, it was practically ingrained in you from birth. And by the way, I don't I don't know if this ever happened on any recordings, but from what I heard from more than one person, Dennis also could play at least rudimentary guitar. Yeah. So he was definitely a multi-instrumentalist. Oh, yeah. yeah. But just... Just listening to some of this stuff, it's just like, oh my God. And you think- Seriously. If he hadn't pulled his songs from Surf's Up, can you just imagine what Surf's Up would have been like with Dennis material taking up a couple tracks, then say, student demonstration time? <laughs> Which I, I actually, I like student demonstration time in that I think it's a great performance. They put their all into it. They do a great reading of Riot and Cell Block Number 9, and I like how they creatively had Mike sound like he was singing through a bullhorn, but the lyrics sometimes are a little dippy. A lot of people say they have a love-hate relationship with that song, and I certainly do. Sometimes I love it, sometimes I hate it. I'll tell you what, I don't mean this in a bad way. I accidentally listened to the live version on the box set. I think I was trying to listen to something else and landed on that. That is a great performance. Oh. Well, because it's got good bones. It's Riot yeah. and Zellblock number nine. Sure. And they were still and, playing it kind of in a gritty, kind of Grateful Dead and style. And also in 1970-71, they were really ramping up their live act where they had some great horn players and yeah. they were building and putting together a really strong back line yep. that made them. I mean, that's why in 1970, was it 1974 that they were named Rolling Stones Band of the Year simply because of their touring act? I think so. Because they didn't release anything in 1974 except one Christmas single. <laughs> An endless summer, but I mean, yeah. that's not why Rolling Stone gave them that crown. No. But yeah, I could give up student demonstration time in favor of some of Dennis's work. And yeah, and I reaching mean, people, for the book again. I mean, people have said disc five is the thing you want to go to, and that is true. Remember I remember mean, what I told you? I said, look at disc five, like literally look at the disc itself. Just well, looking at it well, is just yeah, gorgeous. Because it's the I kind of love this. I always had wondered why did the Beach Boys title the album Sunflower? Why that title? 
just the fact that it was 1970 sure. wasn't enough for me. Nobody really had an answer until I read the Sunflower issue of Endless Summer Quarterly a year ago. I got to put a permanent link to Endless Summer Quarterly's know, right? website on our uh, show notes and page. That issue was like the Rosetta Stone for me. It answered yeah. so many questions that I had had about Sunflower because even in the really good books about the Beach Boys – that era is often kind of slighted. Yeah. But the Endless Summer Quarterly explained that the story behind that title is, I think Carl in particular was looking through a pile of Orange Crate art labels. Now, we're not talking about Van yeah, Dyke yeah, Sparks yeah. record Orange Crate art. It's the Orange Crate art that was traditionally, like, this is a thing in California that different orange growers and different... Orange Groves had their own particular trademark and their own particular artwork. And this is a thing in California. It's part of California history. And there was one label for Redlands oranges that had this beautiful sunflower on it. And if you look at the back of the sunflower album where it says ingredients and there's a sunflower, somebody at Warner's recreated the sunflower from that label. It's very, very similar. Maybe a few subtle differences. Copyright Johnny. Yeah, right. But it's basically the same sunflower. And I even Googled that label and matched it up. And sure enough, it's the same thing. So the sunflower that is on disc five is that Redland sunflower. And I just love that, that it's this really pretty piece of artwork and a really nice little piece of California history. And it really goes with the album because the album is a very, it's very relaxed. It really is. Like it really makes you think it's a mellow California vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the cover. Well, yeah, the cover and I, Endless Summer Quarterly also explained that cover (laughs) that it was shot on, of all places, Dean Martin's golf course. (laughs) That just, cracked me up for some reason i don't remember that oh my yeah. god i have to reread yeah. those issues yeah it was now. dean martin's golf course and i mean as we know oh wait no that's right dean martin wasn't carl's father-in-law yet because no. he was still married to annie Hinchy. carl's yeah. carl's future father-in-law yeah. <laughs> but man that whole sunflower title thing totally destroyed a theory i held for years because i'd always wondered why do they why sunflower it has nothing to do with anything And then I heard the unreleased version of Back Home from those sessions, and a sunflower is mentioned. I thought, aha! Some other things from, I mean, on disc five, you know, aside from the wealth of Dennis material, there's a track by Brian called Won't You Tell Me. Well, Brian and Murray, well, Brian's performing it, but Murray co-wrote it with him. Murray co-wrote it with him. But seriously, when I listened to that, I was thinking, okay, I need to like, go like, crawl into a cave of blankets and just curl up and think about it for a while. (laughs) It's one of those things that it's like, this was languishing, unheard. Yeah. For like, the last thousand years like that piano run through made me think of oh what was the name of that song that um audrey sang that's on one of the earlier copyright oh, extensions God, i forgot is it true what they say about so well, i could always open up my uh, itunes here and uh 
But it's it felt like that same kind of a vibe to me. And I'm just wondering what else is in the vault that's of the same thing. Oh, here it is. Is it true what they say about Dixie? That was the mm-hmm. song. But in my notes for the finished version of Won't You Tell Her, I don't know if it's so much finished, but the more fully orchestrated version, in my notes, I wrote, very, very nice production, Wilson Brothers Band. Mm. Like if the if Brian, Carl, and Dennis had branched off and formed mm. their own band and did like a Wilson Brothers Band, would that have been a possible track for them? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it. That just, I was, I was quite stunned by that. The Till I Die demo, all I really had to, it didn't really do much for me, but it was nice to have, and it kind of has an I just wasn't made for these times vibe, especially if you listen to the piano demo of that song. Mm. So it's like the two kind of go hand in hand. Something I found very fascinating was the version of Back Home on that disc. Now, here's the thing about Back Home and Sunflower, like what we all knew from the bootlegs and from, I think, that little brief... Oh, no, it was Made in California that had the Sunflower version of Back Home or Surf's Up or whatever it was going to be on. The melody wasn't quite the same as the Back Home that we all know from, say, 15 Big Ones. It kind of starts the same, but then it goes a little bit more like Merry Christmas, Baby. It floored me to hear that there's another version, same backing track, but pretty much with the 1963-1976 melody intact, and with different words, too. And I noticed that Al's name is in the songwriting credits on that one. Hmm. So that was fascinating. And I don't think it mentions Ohio. (laughs) Oh, and the live version, which is... The 15 big okay, ones version, really. Well, you get really. off the Ohio thing. Al only lived there when he was a small child. Yes, he, but- his, They moved a lot. But the thing okay. is also, the thing is, Brian and Al switched off on vocals on that live version. Brian sang the first verse. Al sang the second. Why couldn't they flip it over so the guy who was actually born in Ohio? But because I don't think thing- that has anything to do with him. I mean, Ohio is probably only in the lyrics because it fit nicely. I mean, you're not going to say, I'm going to spend this summer in Kentucky. or It might have happened because there is an audience recording from sometime in the late 70s. They're performing in Michigan. And Brian's saying, I'm going back this summer to old Michigan. Oh, so they were going to like change it for for the venue. Oh, my God. He said our state's name. I'm going to cheer. Yeah. What if, uh, <laughs> did, did you have any thoughts on I've Got a Friend? Because that was the one of the big ones. Everybody was just on their edge of their seats to hear. No. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. I, I mean, to me, I, still, I still need to like spend a lot more time just because yeah. listening to this all at once. Again, it was it was very overwhelming. I mean, in a wonderful way. Oh, of course. But yeah. I kind of need to sit down and sort this stuff out and sure. make some playlists and kind of work on it more just because this is such a wealth of information, especially information that we, for the most part, have never had. Oh, yeah. That we've never had. Like, this this material has not been booted. and So much of it is brand where new. Where it's yeah. like with the smile stuff, with the pet sound stuff. A lot of us had at least somewhat of a preview of some of the material. I mean, some of it, people had heard just about everything, just the official releases made it all clean and nice. Sure. But 
this is like we got smacked in the face yeah. with all this wonderfulness. My only thing about I've got a friend, though, is I've been waiting for it for a long time because I'd never – and I swear, back in the 90s – when Beach Boys forums on the internet and Usenet were still kind of in their infancy, people were saying that Barbara and I've Got a Friend were the same song. No, they're definitely not. They're similar. But I'm going to be honest. I had a hard time listening to I've Got a Friend on that simply because there's no melody over it and no vocals. So really, you got to seek out the one concert performance that's kind of been going around for some years now and it doesn't sound very good because it's you know, from the audience and all this but you can still pick up on the melody and some of the lyrics and putting that together i would love to hear say maybe taylor hawkins or hmm. maybe even dennis's son oh. was it carl who carl sang B, yeah who sang forever think, at the carl walk and I think just so. blew everybody away I would love to hear one of those guys like put a vocal over that. The Denny track that got me, and I had, I heard this on the Beach Boys channel just a few days before we got Feel Flows. It's a new day. Ah, that I was like, wait, what? <laughs> because for a while, back when the channel started in the beginning of July, they were saying, "Oh, here's." You know, Here's a song that's going to be on the Feel, Feel Flows, Flows box. And, and it was like a song we already, you know, it would be Feel Flows, like just from Surf's Up, like nothing, yeah. nothing different. But as it got closer, and I'm, I imagine, if you recall, the Feel Flows was supposed to come out at the end of July. I think, yeah. So I'm sure that the original idea was to have the channel do a lot more to promote Feel Flows because they would have had like a whole month to play tracks from it. But then it got moved to the end of August, just a few days before the channel went off. And I think they probably just had things so scheduled that they couldn't change it. So yeah. just a few days before the set came out, they were playing some things that were from it. Yep. And it's like, okay, I'm paying attention because <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and that that almost just knocked me over because I had heard It's a New Day. It had been bootlegged probably about 15 years ago. Well, probably longer ago than that, actually. The version on the field flows by, it's the same version, but it sounds like a completely different recording because it's no longer like 35 generations removed. And it <laughs> sounds so crisp and so cool. And something you might want to put in the show notes, the MP3 of my solution. Oh, that we God, did. From, that we did. Yeah, we did. Oh, and we should also give a shout out to our friends Dan and Jason. Ah, uh, yes. When Adam Webb was working on his book, Dumb Angel, he stumbled upon sheet music for It's a New Day. And he reached out to uh, to Dan, knowing what a big Dennis fan he is, Dennis aficionado, and said, hey, I found this sheet music for this Dennis song that I never heard of. I can't read sheet music. Can you whip up a demo or something? Because I want to know what this sounds like. So... He and Jason got together and recorded an amazing, basically they did what they, anything that you know Dennis to do in one of his productions, it's in there. It has that kind of heart on his sleeve vibe. Mm -hmm. There's a thunderstorm in the background in the beginning. It's so cool. Pack up your troubles, forget all your problems. Remember the times we made it together, so happy and free. So happy, it's a new day. But yeah, we, I mean, for those who don't know, on the Pet Sounds mailing list back in the uh, 
late 90s and early 2000s, there were actually four different, well, I guess it was a tape first, then a CD. It was always CDs. It was OCD, called Net Sounds, where different board members would submit recordings that they had done themselves of covers of Beach Boys songs. And there was a whole range of creativity and alternates and alternate versions. And people with electronic keyboards setting them in the bossa nova mode. And, and yeah. some things that were just hysterically funny and... Tone deaf. Oh, you <laughs> oh, gotta we listen. love you, tone deaf. Yep, tone deaf. And uh, so we did, I think, was it for Net Sounds 3? It was Net Sounds 3. Wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Net Sounds we did, 3. Yes. We, we did. Um, well, really, you did. I just helped a cover of My Solution. Well, you did the narration. Yeah. Dropped, or half the narration. And dropped silverware, silverware and yelled in the background. And there's a sound sample of my beagle spot howling. And yeah. <laughs> see, that, that ruined me for the actual My Solution because I think our version is much more fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed about it, though, because you know I've, I've learned so much behind well, the scenes yeah, since but, it's like, okay, I think I was a little harsh. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but it's, I, it's I apologize its to you-know-who. <laughs> it's circa 1999. <laughs> yeah, it's what we knew at the time yeah. or what we thought we knew. So, But I'm going to tell you right now, Disc 5, though, for me, this, I feel makes it worth the price of the entire set. A Dennis track that I had no idea ever existed, Hawaiian Dream. Oh my god. Wow. Wow. It's like, move over, Diamond Head. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Here's what it was. If you ever heard Wonderman's cover of Full Moon, it sounds like that, plus let's go away for a while. It's, It's like, whoa. Oh my goodness. I've never been to Hawaii, but I feel like I'm there yet. when I listen to it. Yeah, yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, and just because of that one track, when it's my turn to cross over, I want to find Dennis right away and just give him a big hug for that. I have a feeling Dennis probably greets every Beach Boys fan. I'm sure he does. Because that, that he be loved the fans so much. He really did. I bet you he's there to greet everybody with a big hug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, especially Carl. Oh, my uh, God. Dennis fans, if you haven't heard this set yet, oh my God, you're you're just going to be in, in just total bliss. Before, there's a track called Before. I knew that as one of the tracks called Quad Symphony, but this one, we have some vocals over it, and it sounds really, really cool. I was so glad to hear this. Then you have the other side of what's on disc five, the alternate version of Don't Go Near the Water. My notes, uh, the first thing I wrote here about this was WTF, question mark, bang, question mark. Yeah, that was that was very strange. Yeah, I think it killed my dad. It's, I, have a, I have a theory that this was probably just a guide vocal. Well, yeah. And especially because at one point, Al's singing like this, and he doesn't sing like this. No. Or maybe even the lyrics may not have been solid yet. They were just still kind of noodling around oh dude speaking of uh, dennis fans anybody listening to this who has not yet heard got to know the woman a cappella <laughs> this is what i've told a couple of people make sure that you are sitting down on a very steady surface seriously i knew that dennis could really sing a tune when he when he really wanted to oh my god mm-hmm. holy cow and i never realized that the backing vocalists are women. You never noticed that? I never, like, really? I just never thought about huh. it. I just never thought about it. 
Because usually the Beach Boys, I mean, occasionally you'd have like Tony Tennille or you'd sure. have Marilyn. I mean, yeah. but generally you just don't have women singing on Beach Boys songs. And they but, sound like seasoned professionals. Yeah. Well, they sound like gospel singers. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of things in these Dennis tracks that are little signposts of things to come. Yeah. And I mean, we know that Dennis used some gospel singers later on. There's lots of little hints of what we would eventually hear on things like Pacific Ocean Blue. Yeah. And uh, also acapella that really made me stand up and say, wow, all I want to do. Oh, yeah. Mike sounded really good on that. That's one of those songs that you kind of forget it's Mike. <laughs> Mike was never a bad singer at all. I mean, he was always on key. You know, well, oh, yeah. actually, there's one exception on this set that I know he's like, ooh, he's very flat on this. Uh, oh, what the heck song? It's natural. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say about that. But all I want to do, it's like, oh my God, Mike was such a good singer. Mm. And by the way, we should mention specifically that we are talking about the five CD version. We do not have any of the other versions, although. I'm seeing some people like showing off their four disc vinyl versions and it's making me like, oh, <laughs> down boy, down. And it's colored vinyl. Oh, oh will you calm down? I am a slut for colored vinyl. Yeah, I know. But Good Lord. One other thing I have to mention people were commenting about how the Sunflower and Surf's Up remastering on this set was overdone. And I agree to that to an extent. Because for one thing, I noticed that on Add Some Music to Your Day, Bruce's vocal was kind of distorted, at least on our setup here, on our uh, receiver here in living room and on my Bose speakers and my computer. It just didn't sound quite right. But having said that, the remastered forever, I could almost see the singers. It's The vocals sounded so mm -hmm. 3D on that. I was like, oh my goodness. Having said that, though, I do prefer the 2012 uh, Digipack CD version of it. It does sound a little bit better. Uh, it doesn't sound quite as in-your-face and trebly, but I'm just going to stop myself right here and go straight to something that I wanted to say that just came into my mind while we were listening to this set. Just talking about Sunflower and Surf's Up and the songs that were recorded for those, including the ones that weren't released until now. There is one person who is the star of those two albums. It's not Brian. It's not Dennis. Banana? Banana's not on this one. You're thinking <laughs> Pet Sounds. I know. I know. No. Steven Desper. Oh, yeah. It occurred to me when I was listening to our vinyl sunflowers, because both of our vinyl sunflowers are pretty vintage. And at least my copy, the one from the one of the EMI stateside label, it was obviously played a lot. Well, it's from England, so of course it was. <laughs> It sounds bright AF. It yeah. sounds so good. Listening to uh, 10 Years of Harmony earlier today. For example, um, the single version of California that's on there sounds really like garbage on there. But then you switch over to a Sunflower song. It's like, poof. Desper is the master. Ugh. I mean, yeah, it's from the first time I heard Sunflower, I could hear that difference. And it's probably the same kind of thing that made the difference with Beatles recordings, you know, that it was done right, which makes even the going through the years, it holds up like it sounds clean and bright and sharp. And it makes the remastering people's job a lot easier. And one other thing I want to mention, and uh, again, we're, I'm traipsing on Matt and Greg's territory here. So I apologize to those guys. But 
I think it was Matt who was talking about how when he went to the store to pick up a copy of Field Flows, the person behind the desk said that they couldn't keep them stocked. That mm. They were just flying out and wow, that is good to hear. They said, yeah, we don't know what this is about, but people are buying these things like crazy. So shall we rewind yeah, a bit? Yeah, let's rewind. So let's go back to 25 years ago. Okay. 1996. I just graduated from college. In the Beach Boys landscape. And this was about the time that I got involved with Beach Boys internet forums and realized I wasn't the only nut in the world. We had the Good Vibrations box set from three years earlier. Yeah. By that time, the Beach Boys music that was in print, nothing from the 70s or 80s. You could still get a copy of the, Still Cruising, but good luck finding the I mean, 85 you had, album. You know, if you went into any Sam Goody in your local mall... Oh, God, I hated that store. You'd find Endless Summer, Pet Sounds. At the holidays, you'd find the Christmas album. Sure. And the twofers that had come out in 1990 that were so beautifully put together had been taken out of print. So you only had single copies of the albums with no liner notes, yep. nothing fancy. No bonus tracks. No bonus tracks, no extras. And I have to wonder if oh. that was done as a way to cash in on people who bought the box set and wanted to hear more and wanted to go and get a copy of The Beach Boys Today or Smiley Smile. Why you would want that is beyond me. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, boy, here we go. I know, I know. I, I donned my flame-proof undies. So you just had these single CDs that cost probably about as much as the two first Yeah, there was head. no price difference. And that's about it. And there were only a few books that yeah. were mostly hard to find because they were out of print. For a long time, the only real Beach Boys books you could get were Heroes and Villains and Brian's Unauthorized Autobiography. You mean, wouldn't it be nice if it were my own story? Yeah. Yeah, you had, those were the only two you would find on your shelf at B. Dalton's or Walden Books. And maybe you'd find, actually, there was The Nearest Faraway Place by Timothy White. I mean, there were some really great books like The Beach Boys by Byron Price. Those were out of print. You could maybe find them at your local library, but good luck finding them in a bookstore. Well, Lookless and Vibrate Smile had just been, I think, reissued, like a brand new version, because I remember I went to Barnes & Noble the night I graduated from college and bought it. Oh, they had it on the shelf? I think I had them order it. Yeah, from it. I was going to say, a book like that, I think... I can't see a Barnes & Noble keeping that on the shelf. I think but they eventually could. you could go to a, walk into a bookstore and get it. But Actually, I saw a copy of it at um, Amoeba when we were in ah, San Francisco. I don't know if it was new or used, but there was not much. Yeah. Not much at that all. That was it. And joining the two Usenet groups is where... I got a lot of education because there was a lot of information being discussed, being shared, a lot of fan theories and speculations and people who, you know, had had some kind of personal connection who could share information, but there just wasn't much. And even when it came to the music, it seemed like there were more bootlegs than released material. 
And the Beach Boys, particularly Al Jardine, were complaining about that. They're like, you guys know that when you buy these bootlegs, you're taking money out of our pockets? It's like, well, number one, no, we're not because you're not releasing it in the first place. So you're not, you wouldn't be making money anyway. And number two, then put this stuff out so we can buy it. Well, the thing is, I think a great realization that many artists have had over the last 25 years is that bootlegs, the audience recordings, the YouTube videos, like all of these kind of underground things don't really rob money from anybody's pocket. If anything, it fuels the fire. Because you take a, a clip back when, even before smartphones, when digital cameras were much more accessible and smaller, and you could slip one into your pocket and take it into a venue and record a clip at a concert and put it on YouTube, people would watch that and say, oh man, I got to buy a ticket and go to this show. Like people weren't looking at YouTube as a replacement unless it was just something where, okay, this band is touring in Europe and they're not going to come to the United States and the YouTube is all you got, but that might make you want to buy more of their CDs or whatever. So it took artists a while to realize that these things serve to put more money in their pockets. And even, I think it was Bob Dylan's people who first took, basically took the bootlegs and released them lock, stock, and barrel using the bootleggers' artwork and everything. I I know Frank Zappa did that with the Beat the Boots series. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of Frank Zappa, but I want to say Bob Dylan. I mean, I know nothing about Bob Dylan. I think I just remember reading about it, or it could be another artist, but where they just took the bootleggers' work and made it legitimate, Yeah, which I think is just awesome. But if it weren't for the bootleggers, they wouldn't have even done this because they would have been like, why would anybody be interested? It's it's like, it's literally going through somebody's waste paper basket and, yeah. <laughs> you know, pulling out the discarded drafts and smoothing them out and mm-hmm. making photocopies. It's like, it's the same thing. Like, people might think, why would somebody want to listen to 68 takes of Wouldn't It Be Nice? Well, have you met Beach Boys fans? <laughs> <laughs> But this was before we were at that point. And it just, I mean, there was so much to discuss and the discussions were amazing and vibrant, but we all just kind of felt like we're wandering in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) And the first thing that really kind of came onto our horizon was the Pet Sounds box set. Pet Sounds Sessions released November 4th, 1997, and that's coming right off the top of my head. Well, because we, we, we know that date so well for different reasons. Yeah, we'll tell that story later. Well, we're probably going to tell it like now. Oh. Well, the Pet Sounds box really was another, in a, not a complete boot killer, because I know there were some things that were bootleg that people still wanted. Yeah. But the boot that it was supposed to kill, there's still some things on there that have not yet been released. You mean released. Lego My Ego? Lego My Ego, yeah. yeah. Supposedly, that's what was the inspiration. It may not have killed Lego My Ego, but it certainly, it put it in the hospital for a while. Yeah. Because <laughs> it did contain a great deal of the information that was on Lego My Ego. Yeah. And of course, as we all know, it came out like a year and a half late. Yeah. <laughs> because of things, Various delays. Various delays that we're not going to get into right Especially now. Especially because I really think a lot of it was more speculation than anything else. Well, yeah. And I remember... There was a web page that I believe was maintained by Annie Wallace in the UK, where she put together 
And I don't remember, and I'm sure there's somebody who can let us know for sure, because I don't quite remember this, if it was firsthand information that she was posting, or if she just culled from every source that she could find about production updates and the track listing. I remember she posted a picture of the what the box set was going to look like. So somebody must have had a connection. If she didn't, somebody must have had a connection to Capitol Records with their promo information and also listing the various delays and the pushbacks of the dates. The thing is, we were wondering, is this box set actually going to come out? Because because there had had been been so many Mm -hmm. other projects that people from the inside were talking about being worked on Mm -hmm. that ended up being canceled. When I was still in college, I was doing a Beach Boys radio show for my last semester of college at the radio station. And one of the times I was on, I actually interviewed somebody who was on the Capitol Records task force for the box set. And one of the questions I said was, listen, Paul, is this box set going to come out? Absolutely, for sure. No matter what. He said, absolutely. It's already past that juncture. Hmm. But we were given little samples here and there. CMJ New Music Monthly, sometime in May of 1996, their cover CD for one of their issues had, I just wasn't made for these times, in Mm -hmm. stereo. Mm -hmm. And I remember putting that disc in, and the second I hit play, I was just so overwhelmed Mm -hmm. just with that first note. Mm -hmm. I remember somebody on one of the Usenet groups said, for me, it was the 21st time in a row that I played it that really did it for me. (laughs) Later on, there was a vinyl EP from uh, Sub Pop Records, Mm -hmm. of all things, that had, I just wasn't made for these times, the Stack of Tracks version of Here Today, and I think the Stack of Tracks version of Wouldn't It Be Nice. There may have been something else from the box set on there that warranted tracking it down. Do we have that? We do. Okay. We do. In fact, I called Crow's Nest RIP in Crest Hill, Illinois. That was the, oh, that was such a wonderful store. You know I still get sad when I go past that building and see that baby clothes store. (laughs) I called them up and I said, hey, um, there's a new Beach Boys EP out. Just want to see if you guys have it. And if you don't, if you could order it for me. And, you know, I said, it's on Sub Pop. And the guy said, wait a minute, the Beach Boys are on Sub Pop? <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they got it for me. Yeah. Okay. So now, now, November 4th, 1997. Yes. It is here. It is coming out. We had confirmation it was going to be what we were told was going to be this lovely green box set. So November 4th, 1997, at the time I lived in New Jersey, I was working for AT&T as a technical writer. I mean, there were times I could work at home. I didn't have to punch a time clock. You were expected to get as your work done. As long as you got done, your work done, that's we what they cared. We weren't nickel and dimed on our time. And I overslept that morning because my plan was to go to work and at lunchtime drive down to Red Bank, which was nearby and go to Jack's Music, which is still on Broad Street in Red Bank, a wonderful longtime local record store. Jack is a Beach Boys fan. Jack is a Beach Boys fan. So Springsteen goes here to shop because he lives like 10 minutes away in Rumson. (laughs) It's a place, okay? I was going to go to Red Bank at lunch and pick up the box set. So I overslept and did I think, oh man, I got to get to work. No, I thought, oh, I'll just go to Red Bank on my way in. Yep. (laughs) Because again, in where I worked, if my boss saw that my office door was closed and my light was off, my boss would just assume that I was meeting with a client. 
I mean, there sure. wasn't really or working from home or working from home. I mean, there wasn't any kind of this wasn't a crisis. So I went to Jack's on my way in, got there probably around 10 or 1030 or something like that. And it was a beautiful day. One of those days that you get out east in even though it's November, it was sunny, 60 degrees, just a really nice day. And I went into Jack's and I bought the box set. I think they Did were still, know? I think they were still putting them out. Like it wasn't out on the floor yet. I would have sat there until I got my box set. <laughs> I was not leaving without it. And I just remember walking out of the store in that beautiful sunny day and just looking at the beautiful green cover. And it's like, it's here. Let the record show that Lisa stroked one of our <laughs> copies. Of the, we have you wouldn't let me get rid of my copy. Well, yeah, like when we got together, but you, stro- you stroked one of our copies <laughs> while you said that. When we got together, we got rid of a lot of duplicate items. I refuse to even hear of getting rid of. Like we still have two copies of the Pet Sounds box set because I can't and the Good Vibrations. I box can't set. part with them. They're too important. So now you tell your... Yeah, I have my own story. Uh, I was working at Sharp Electronics doing tech support for their PDAs. Uh, PDA means something different now. (laughs) Uh, Personal digital assistants. We don't have those anymore because we have smartphones now. But I was supposed to meet with my family after work because it was my brother's birthday. Well, the thing is, I had higher priorities. So on the way to the restaurant from work, I stopped at Crow's Nest. Now, here I am, a Beach Boys fan, knowing how these kind of things are such a niche market. And I think there was a lot of concern about that online, too, from other fans, that maybe it would be stuck in the back in the stock room. People just forget to bring it out. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll go in, I'll check the Beach Boys CDs, and I'll probably have to ask for somebody to go to the back. But no, I walk into Crow's Nest, and right up front, right by the cash registers, there was a huge honking display, piles and piles of the Pet Sound Sessions box set. It wasn't piles. They were neatly arranged, but you could not miss them. It was so, so beautiful. So I grabbed one right away and got in line. And I have to tell this because, man, okay, I did not have an ATM card back then, and I didn't have all the cash on me, so I was going to write a check. I have another check story for another episode, by the way. (laughs) But I'm in line at Crow's Nest, and I remember the checkout clerk in my line. Her name was Elizabeth. She was probably 16 years old, maybe. And she was really good. She was really good, but um, somebody in front of me was going to pay for whatever he was buying with a check. And as per store policy, Elizabeth needed to see his driver's license or some kind of legal photo ID. Well, this guy was all hemming and hawing, eh, photo ID, why do I need to show you? Just take the damn check. Well, the driver's license was in his wallet inside one of those plastic thingies. You know, a lot of us do that. I do that myself. I keep my driver's license in the plastic thingy. And Elizabeth couldn't see the driver's license very clearly through it, so she asked him very nicely if he could remove it. And he just, oh, this guy just was so ticked off and he called for a manager. He was, he was such a Ken or is it Kevin? I I think it's Ken. He was being such a Ken and he said, Oh, you need glasses. And she says, I'm wearing contacts, sir. So he complained to the manager and you know, the manager was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And she took care of it. So when I got up to Elizabeth in line, I said, 
I'm paying by check. I will be happy to show you my driver's license. I will be very happy to take it out of the plastic for you. I said it nice and loud so that jerk could hear me as he was leaving the store. But there it was. I finally had it in my hands. Oh my goodness, I just had a flashback to Elizabeth putting it in the yellow plastic crow's nest bag. Oh, I miss crow's nest. And man, I was so happy to have that, but I had to go to dinner with my family so I couldn't listen to it. And I was antsy and I wanted to get home and listen to it. But when I got home and listened to the stereo pet sounds, I was so in heaven because it sounded amazing. But that's my story. So that was November of 97. And in August of 98, we got a little goodie called Endless Harmony. Yes. Which was a CD and a documentary. Yes. Which this was the first, well, actually, no, I shouldn't say the first documentary because we did have I Just Wasn't Made for These Times. Well, I Just Wasn't Made for These Times was just about Brian. This was a Beach Boys documentary. Yes. And it was a very, very good documentary, but the CD knocked us all totally flat because there were things that yes. had never oh, been booted. I have or, stories on this, too. Or things that had been booted, but we were hearing them now in different quality, different renditions. Well, like, for instance, you had Loop de Loop, which people had heard. Yeah. But- Al had actually gone in and redid part of it because yeah. he was never happy with the 1969 recording of it. Yeah. So he went and brightened it up. And you had things like California Girls in Stereo, which was yep. the first track I listened to. Oh, sure. I could totally dig and that. Yeah, because before we were making our own stereo mixes with varying degrees of success using the Stack of Tracks bonus track. And the vocals only from Disc 5 of Good Vibrations. And I seem to remember for that, when Endless Harmony came out, and I think I was working at home, and I think I just drove up to Jack's and bought it and came home and did no work for the rest of the day. (laughs) Because I remember sitting on my bed listening to the California girls in stereo. Sure. But then there was something else Soulful Old Man Sunshine. Oh, my goodness. Something that almost nobody had heard before. Very few have ever heard of it. And it was like, ah! (laughs) It was like, oh, my God. I remember I went to Best Buy. I don't know why I didn't get it at Crow's Nest. It might have been a buck or two cheaper at Best Buy, but I got it at Best Buy. And I put it on my portable CD player that had one of those cassette adapters for the stereo. And I remember driving through the parking lot. I, I was I heard that little demo snippet with uh, Brian and Rick Hannah. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And then mm. the main track, and I was thinking, what? In fact, no, I might have said that out loud actually. And then when that when that part came in, I had to listen to that multiple, multiple times while I'm navigating my way out the parking lot. Just that part alone blew me away. And then when everything else kicked in, 
Mm. Oh my God. How could they have let that stay in the vaults for so freaking long? Well, evidently Carl didn't like it. That's the story. (laughs) And I I don't know if it's true, but supposedly the reason is that he cringed upon hearing soulful old man sunshine. And I mean, which by the way, there is another, as we know, those of us who've heard the full, the whole feel flow set know there's another take of it where he doesn't say sunshine. Why couldn't they just Frankenstein that in? But anyway. But this was only about six months after Carl had died, yeah. too. And, of course, another piece of the Rosetta Stone. Yes. The Humble Harve the tape. The Humble Harve tape, yeah. Here's the situation. Some of you listening might be too young to know about this, but they're for the longest... Well, I'm not, I don't want to spoil that part yet, but here's what I'm going to talk about. I'm hearing the Humble Harve demo of Heroes and Villains. It's just listed as Heroes and Villains. And it sounded really cool. Brian on a piano and singing Heroes and Villains as we all knew about it. By the way, Humble Harve was a DJ yeah. that Brian was talking with and that and a tape was running. I don't know if it was for I don't know what his the story show is or, or like what the deal was with it, but that's that's why this tape was happening. Yeah. Like and, this uh, probably was in Brian's house. It wasn't in the recording might have been. studio. You can hear the and your favorite thing about it is you can hear a chair squeak. Yeah, like yeah. you can hear a lot of like a lot of what you hear oh, from my chair right now. Yeah, actually. like a lot of outside noises. <laughs> but I'm I'm listening to the verse. He does the first two verses. I'm like, okay, this is a pretty cool listen. And then I hear something that I didn't recognize at all. Fresh in or head. I don't know. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Never heard this before. And then the magic words came out. I'm in the great, great shape, shape of I, the At that moment, <laughs> I screamed my head off in my car. I was driving down Theodore Street. I almost drove off the road into a tree when I heard that. And then out in the barnyard. That was like, I was like, I heard that and wow. It's like answers. We have answers. I knew knew about that and I kind of, the lyrics had been published in different books. Like but just we in had stories, never we heard. Evidence. I kind of figured that it would go along to that little guitar part in the studio version of Barnyard, and I was right. We we were all right, but we had never heard the actual but evidence. We, but I'm in great shape. There yeah. were people on the inside who were telling us what was going to be. We knew the track listing before it came out. They didn't tell us about that. Yep. God bless you all for keeping that a surprise. Because for those of you who are too young to know this stuff. I'm in Great Shape was a legendary missing track that nobody had any idea what it sounded like for the longest time. We didn't even know if it had been recorded. There was a theory that I'm in Great Shape was the little uh, Mama Says portion of vegetables. Mm -hmm. There was another theory that it was actually the uh, workshop tune, Friday Night, whatever, because the session sheet showed that that track lasted the same length as uh, I'm in Great Shape or something like that. But no, we now, and there were still people arguing that there's, no, that's not I'm in great, dude, the phrase I'm in great shape is in the lyrics. Before we go on, we need to give a little shout out to Mark Lynette. Yes. Mark Lynette has ushered in all of these releases, you know, start, Thank you, Mark. starting with the Pet Sounds box set and- Oh, he goes back further oh, than that. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. He, like, he, he, oh, he did the two first? He did he the did, two first? He did the okay. Good Vibrations but, set? But like the- Pet Sounds box set and several other things. Mark sometimes leaves little gifts for the fans. Little hidden tracks. That they'll be, you'll have a track that finishes at the end of a disc, but the time is still running. And you wait a moment 
And then you hear something like, for instance, on the Pet Sounds box set on here today, as we all know, on the mono version, uh, you can hear talking going on and you hear Brian say, top, top please. And we know now that it was they were discussing cameras. Do you have that attached to the flash? Do you have rigged up? He actually isolated the talking part so we could actually hear that now. And then there's another part. And I just was the song. I just wasn't made for these times. In the chorus, there's my hand is over my heart. There's several different vocals going on that people have had been trying to decipher. There's one vocal that's in Spanish. He had that isolated so we could finally hear what that was. I think that was also partly in response to something that Brian said, because somebody asked him about the Spanish lyrics. He said, what are you talking about? There's no Spanish in that song. (laughs) And then he hears that. He says, oh, okay. I guess there was. (laughs) And he also, in the Good Vibrations box set, I don't remember which disc it was, but after the disc theoretically ends, you hear that happy birthday freshman thing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we had this delicious assortment of things. And then not long after that, just a few months later, we got Ultimate Christmas. It was the next month, actually, really. Yeah, I mean, it came out in September and I was able to get it because Jax loves the Beach Boys. Yeah, and, they, and, they and he put, put it out right when it came out. He put it out right away. Most people couldn't get it because stores were holding it until they actually put out their Christmas CDs, yeah. you know, in like say November. So we're talking 1998. Buying CDs online was not a thing that people People still thought to go to their store first. Yeah, you could tell net to CD connection and buy CDs, but... But, I mean, it wasn't like Barnes & Noble didn't sell music. Borders sold music in their stores, but as we know, the whole reason Borders no longer exists is that they never had a really good web presence. They didn't. So, like, you couldn't buy online from Borders. So, I remember buying a copy of ultimate christmas for our friend dan when i came out (laughs) when i came out in october because he couldn't find it in chicago nobody in chicago had it yet i remember when you landed and you wanted me to call dan to let him know we were on our way to his gallery (laughs) i said excuse me is this dan speaking your beach boys cd is here he said um okay because he didn't know which one because he had ordered a ton of bootlegs from different vendors in goldmine he wasn't sure which one came in it's like yeah your cd just landed at o'hare So we had Ultimate Christmas, which was a great big collection with a lot of stuff that we hadn't heard before, like the 1977 Christmas album. It had the more listenable tracks from that. There were some tracks it didn't include, thank God. Yeah. And actually a couple of the tracks it did include, oh, why God, why? Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget. The reason you flew out to O'Hare is because that's when I was moving to New Jersey and you were going to share the drive. Well, you shared the drive with me. You were driving. This was through the mountains in Pennsylvania. You were behind the wheel at the time and we popped in Ultimate Christmas because I wanted to hear it. And when I heard that brilliant lyric. (laughs) Merry Christmas in Hawaii, I was roaring in laughter because I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Oh, but I gotta man. tell you, a lot of that stuff I really liked. Like we had Winter Symphony because I was only familiar with that from the Invasion Unlimited bootleg of Landlocked, which mm. didn't belong on there at all. I didn't like it, but when I heard it on Ultimate Christmas, I loved it. I am thinking, man, this is so good. 
We also had Morning Christmas, which is a yeah, great Denny track. That is, that I, is. And, okay, I'm totally blowing any credibility I may have ever had by saying this. I love Santa's Got an Airplane, and mostly because of Steve Desper, because there are some really cool audio effects in it. If you're listening yeah, through has, headphones. But it, yeah, but it has Al singing way beyond stars. his range. We know where they but, are, because they no, It's in his range. I think he just, he just didn't breathe, because stars... And then, of course, Santa's air special delivery for under your trees. <laughs> yeah, it's it's un, it's very unfortunate. I think I just woke up the dog. <laughs> oh, she is, she is giving you a salty but, look right now. But we got that. And, and then, and, it, and let's not forget that it did include the entire Beach Boys Christmas album from 1964 yes. remastered. It yeah. sounds really nice. And the bonus tracks for that that are tied to that. And then, too. so we had Endless Harmony. We had Ultimate Christmas. And then about, I think, uh, maybe like two years later, he had the Hawthorne California collection. 2001. These, these were all CDs that had very attractive covers. They had booklets with extensive, well-written liner notes. And I mean, the Hawthorne collection was also a lot of things that we had never heard before, things that had been on boots and were now in much better yeah. quality. We had... Uh, we had a stereo heroes and villains. Something I love from Hawthorne was just what it begins with. It's from Brian's woolen sack tape recorder, where it's a teenage Dennis Wilson saying, Hi, I'm Dennis Wilson, and I live at 3701 West 119th Street. It's like, oh my God, like he's a kid, <laughs> like just recording on Brian's tape deck. And then it goes into a run through of surfing. Even the released version, you can hear how young they are. But oh, yeah. oh my God, this even more so like you can hear Carl's little chubby baby fat. Yeah. <laughs> it's The big remembrance I have about Hawthorne, California, there were some great tracks on that. And my theory is that that started as a soundtrack to An American Family, the biopic. By the way, it's biopic, people. It's not biopic. It doesn't have two eyes. It's biopic. Anyway. But because a lot of the songs on there were used in that thing, like Forever Acapella, that was in that two-part movie but with a new piano thing over because dennis was singing it over the phone to murray and all that the lord's prayer was in it so i think it actually did start out life as a companion piece to that hey, who was it who said that the beach boys were gonna make a tv movie every decade until they got it right well they said abc is gonna make oh, a abc every yeah <laughs> i was it, in, it was it entertainment weekly it may have been i don't know but they, they weren't afraid to be snarky yeah but the really big takeaway that I got from this, or not takeaway, but the biggest memory I have was looking at the track listing and seeing that it had Salt Lake City sessions. I knew exactly what that was going to be. I knew it was going to be when Brian told Carol Kay to whack it off. <laughs> I knew that's what it was going to be. Like, oh, take it off. And like, you can hear. Like, he's trying to tell her to cut you the treble can, after and, the intro or something. And you can hear Brian <laughs> blushing because he, I mean, even though Carol Kay, you know, she had, she could roll with the boys. But yeah, I, still, Brian was a kid and he was a polite kid. Yeah. He was not going to say something rude to a woman, especially in a professional environment. And you could hear his embarrassment. <laughs> it's so adorable. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to run through every single release, but the fact is, 
once we passed 2000, really the floodgates were starting yeah. to open because we got- Well, let me go through what those floodgates gave us. So that was 2001. 2002, we had Good Time and Live at Nebworth, 1980. 2006, we had Songs from Here and Back. I don't think any of that stuff was ever released. No. There was the Smile Sessions, well, we'll 2011. Get to that in a oh, uh, Made in California, 2013. The Big Beat, 1963, the copyright well, extension. The start of the copyright yeah. extension. Yeah, we had two copyright extension releases in 2014. Keep an eye on Summer Live in Sacramento. 2015, we had Beach Boys Party Uncovered and Unplugged, the copyright extension that came out on CD, or at least that was one of them. Live in Chicago, 1965. Next year after that, we had Becoming the Beach Boys, the complete heightened Dorinda Morgan sessions, 2016. Graduation Day, 1966, live at the University of Michigan. People online are saying that's not available. Uh, I checked Amazon right before we recorded. You can still get it on Amazon. Uh, that's a download only. Uh, sun there were three different Sunshine compilations mm -hmm. in 1967. Sunshine Tomorrow, which was out on CD. Sunshine Tomorrow 2 and Live Sunshine. Mm -hmm. You had Wake the World, the Friends Sessions in 2018, along with I Can Hear Music, the 2020 Sessions, and the Beach Boys on Tour. All that in 2018. It took me all day to listen to that thing. Oh, yeah. 2019, we only got a three-song dump. Well, yeah, because that was basically leading up to... It was leading because, up to Feel Flows. Because I'm sure if there was no pandemic, we probably would have gotten Feel Flows oh, yeah. last year. But really, the big, you know, kettle drum roll here, oh. smile. And you have to just say, you have to say, smile. Well, if I do that, then I'm going to sound like the guy from Creators at Carnegie on NPR. Smile! <laughs> well, because first you had the release of Brian's completion of Smile in 2004. Yes. Uh, after premiering it to great ovation that I think is still going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At, they're they're uh, still at the Royal Festival yeah, Hall. They're still... They're still they sat through all the other concerts he's done in yes. the past 16 years there. Um, we had Brian's finished smile, but there was still something else. Yes. The original tracks. Yep. Where it all came from. We all thought for many years that that will be the one thing we will never see, at least not while Brian Wilson is still alive and walking this earth. Yeah, the common belief was that Capitol had a set ready to go that as soon as they got Brian's death certificate or something, it would be out the door, into the stores yeah. right away. Or if, like, hell froze over and he gave an approval. Well, hell froze, hell froze over, over. Because in 2011, we got a box set. November 1st. I remember... I think it had been delivered to your office, and I picked you up, and we had this box. It was a big box. I picked you up at work, and I remember holding the box okay. on my lap. I, I don't remember And that. we brought it home, and we opened- I hated my job then, so that's probably why. And we opened the box. We have pictures of and the box opening. We put it like on a little footstool, and I have a wonderful picture. I'll find it, and you can put it in the notes yes, of our yes. beagle, Ruthie, just- Sitting there looking at it like, huh? <laughs> and it was just beautiful. It had so much. It had hundreds of tracks. and It was like, beautiful. Was it five CDs, I think? Five CDs. Five CDs and, and a two 12-inch vinyl set. And there was a 45 in there, there too, wasn't there? was at least there? one 45. Ours might have more 45s in there because they did release other singles leading up to it that we probably stuck in the box. It was monumental. And there was much rejoicing. Uh, 
And for those who wanted to shell out maybe a couple hundred bucks more, you could get the special one that actually lit up. Oh, oh is that the God. one that Brian autographed? Yeah. Did Brian autograph those? Oh, is I, I don't know about that, but there was a, fi- a video where yep. he like turns on the light. and He's he gets- like flipping it on and off. Whoa, it's the Beach Boys box set. And he gets all happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the cutest thing ever. And didn't they have like you could for an extra 400 bucks or something, you could get a surfboard that said smile oh, on it. Oh, that's right. That was, that, was, yeah. that was kind of weird and random because yeah. smile oh. has nothing to do with surfing. Nope. I don't even know why that would be a tie-in. I, I do. Well, but surf's up. That Which has nothing, to, has do nothing with to do with surfing. <laughs> the best thing ever about it, and I know a lot of people kind of poo-poo this because of the Grammy people, but the fact is it was important to Brian that – he not only won a Grammy for his version of Smile, in particular, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, yeah. but the Smile box set won a Grammy for Best Archival Release. Yep. And I think it was nominated for one or two other awards. So we not only had Brian's finished Smile, but we also had a complete Capitol Records issued box set that had Brian's full endorsement. It wasn't like they put it out when he wasn't looking. Sure. He autographed copies of it at uh, Amoeba in Los Angeles. And that's when they redid the storefront too? Yeah. They made it look like the smile shop. So again, going back to 15 years before that, you know, in 1996, I mean, this was beyond our wildest dreams as fans. Yep. So, yeah, we have been fully, fully blessed with almost everything that we could ever want. I mean, there's still stuff that we want. There's still stuff that hasn't been released, and there's still boxes of tapes under somebody's bed that haven't been unearthed. Serious. I think that was the case with Shutdown Volume 2, why why we never had those sessions, because I think those tapes were literally under somebody's bed, (laughs) and they were found, and that's why we had that Keep an Eye on Summer. Yeah. Well, that's another thing, too. These copyright extension CDs that would come out with very little advance notice, they would just kind of be there, usually just a a week or two before Christmas. It's like they got better and better. Yeah. Where, I mean, you would literally have to- Oh, until 2019. You would literally (laughs) have to wade through. Yeah. We're talking like 70 tracks dumped on you the week before Christmas. Yeah. Talk about Santa coming down your chimney. And the thing (laughs) is, they didn't have to do it this way. Because look at what Bob Dylan does. He, for his copyright extensions, he releases vinyl only- 100 copies, mm-hmm. and that's it. And uh, what we saw for uh, 2020 was just about 60 or so tracks and only just 30-second samples that you could play back online. But that was it. Obviously, they were planning to put all that on Feel Flows, so yeah. they didn't want to spoil well, yeah. everything. So but I can I mean, totally these see other, that. These other releases, though, it's like, I mean, the first few were physical CDs, but... Well, the first few weren't physical CDs. Oh, I thought they were. No, Big Beat wasn't the... F- um, but- really, the only physical CD copyright extensions were um, Beach Boys Party, Uncovered and Unplugged, and Sunshine Tomorrow. Oh, okay. But it's kind of a no-brainer that they can put this out. They don't have to pay for manufacturing, yeah. production, shipping. It's like pure profit. You just put it all on iTunes and... QO Buzz and... Yeah, like all the that's other... That's where I go because I want my lossless stuff, Okay, man. but <laughs> I'm saying 
it took the industry a long time to realize like, hey, you can put out a whole bunch of stuff for people. And it doesn't have to be, again, like kind of the Sam Goody way of thinking that only carry the stuff that they knew would sell. Mm -hmm. They can put out little niche things and it's not going to cost them a lot of money. They're not going to have to deal with returns and all of that. And it makes a lot of people happy. Drive storage is cheap and it only gets cheaper by the day. And I mean, talking about about Sunshine Tomorrow, that was another gift. That was a cool one. Because that was not a copyright extension. That was a regular. It's still really a copyright extension. Yeah, but it was put out. It was put out earlier than the rest. Yeah, but it's like where they took, they remastered the Wild Honey album. In stereo. In stereo, which had never, it was never put out, despite the fact that some of you might have vinyl copies from the 60s that say stereo. That's not stereo. It's that high-low thing or something. Or are they just downright mono? You really want to screw up your ears, listen to those things with headphones on. Your earwax will drain. So it's not just the mono and they put a stereo label on it? It's the high-low? That probably would be considered fraud, seriously, because things that were stereo- They charge more. They charge more. Yeah. So it was like like that high-low thing. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't just Capital, all the American labels did. Well, all so, the labels did so that, we had, not just American. So we finally had a legitimate stereo mix. Wild Honey wasn't a bomb. It, no. It wasn't a number one hit, but the album did fairly well. It had the Darlin single, I think was top 20, wasn't it? I'm, I'm pretty sure it was. But still, it still feels like it's kind of been lost to the ages. Yeah. And it's a great little album. And I do say little because it's really short. It is short. Yeah, it's only I like list- 23 minutes yeah, or something. I listened to the entire album while waiting for a red line train to go to yeah. work. And the red line, the CTA red line, by the way, in during rush hour runs every three to five minutes. They had all kinds of alternate mixes yep. and session things and all kinds of goodies that we go berserk over. That was kind of unexpected, it too. Was, like oh, yeah. We never thought that would be a thing, but we were damn glad to see it. <laughs> And really, with with the treasure trove of outtakes and alternate mixes and things on that, my favorite thing is the stereo track Wild Honey when you hear the bongos or the, or the oh, congas. Yeah. Or that. It's like, whoa, that sounds so cool. Of course, you know what I still wish we had? Because mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was Brian talking about Carl recording oh, Wild yes. Honey, how he was just like bouncing all over the place. I wish there was film of that. How but- did the, I, I was thinking about that just, I think, yesterday or the day before. Brian said that Carl was dancing around the studio while recording. How? Did Brian have to chase him around with a microphone? I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean, unless maybe Brian just meant that Carl was like, maybe not physically moving with his legs, but maybe just kind of bopping or waving his arms or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I just picture like 1967 Carl in like a untucked denim shirt <laughs> and like aviator shades. By the way, if anybody <laughs> listening uh, happens to have been there, please let us know how that was. <laughs> but Clarify it for us. Because that thing, you can hear in his singing, you can hear his enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's having a blast. He, re- he really is. But yeah, I mean, we have been blessed many times over. Yeah. And in that conversation I was talking about that I had with uh, David Beard online, he described feel flows 
as an embarrassment of riches. Oh, and God, yeah, yes. Absolutely. It is a feast. There, there are some things on there that I don't like, Seasons in the Sun, yeah. but still... <laughs> Regardless with that and a day in the life of a tree, I don't like that song Wait, either. What if, you know what I said about Seasons in the Sun? Say it again. Like with the chorus, now we know what Carl would have sounded like if he had been in the Partridge family. Oh, good. Okay, well, that I have to say what you told me to write down in my notes. What? At my window. Not, not necessarily the outtake, but just any version of At My Window. I, that's kind of sort of a guilty pleasure song for me, but I described At My Window as... Something that Bob would have sung on <laughs> Sesame, Sesame Street. Street. Hey, you know, my guilty pleasure, Deirdre. Yep. Because it's so... Oh, here's a siren we were talking about. Because it's so corny, but I can't turn away either. It's so of that time where you have like the soft focus kind of gauzy look to like in a camera and you have the young couple running towards each other in a field of (laughs) daisies or something where the girl is wearing a pretty flowered mini dress and her hair is flowing out behind her. Back then, you always had that in commercials for like butter or Summer's Eve douche or something like that. (laughs) Of course. But of course, the thing that cracks me up is when I thought to myself, and now I can't unhear this, that what if Bruce was singing about an Irish setter? Because he's talking about the red hair Hmm. and running away and giving her a bath. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, what if Deirdre was a dog? See, I, if I ever get to meet Bruce, I'm going to ask him and he'll probably laugh his ass off. Either that or he'll be extremely insulted. And just, <laughs> say, yeah, I'm getting out of here. But with Deirdre, especially hearing the backing track on Feel Flows, it confirms my longstanding belief that it's just Bruce's version of D.W. Washburn. Well, that too. So, there. Isn't that nice how we tied this right back to Feel Flows? Well, yeah, because we still got a lot of listening to do. I've said this online, but as far as I'm concerned, Feel Flows is, despite the things on it that I don't like, like Seasons in the Sun and A Day in the Life of a Tree, I just can't get into that. there's stuff you're not gonna like. That's true. I mean, like, teeter-totter love i love that song so freaking much you can have it even with the smile sessions as much as i say the smile sessions was presented to us on a silver platter with everything we could possibly want we have these box sets right over to your left the pet sound sets the good vibration sets we have uh, some of the doors 50th anniversary sets we have the deja vu 50th anniversary thing the all things must pass all the Beatles box sets, my favorite out of all of them is Feel Flows. This is something we didn't even dare dream of in 1996. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think this was even discussed. No. This is just a feast. Yeah. But really, I right now, my dream, and this is just Sunflower. I'm, I was never really a huge fan of the Surf's Up album. I kind of, I like only about half of it. I adore Sunflower almost from start to finish. My big dream now is for those songs to come out in each of the 16 individual tracks oh per boy. song. Here we go. It can be done. And you know how I know it can be done? The Busy Doing Something convention that Susan Lang ran. One time, it was either Mark Lynette or Alan Boyd went there with a few, I think, Sunflower tracks. 
and you could make your own mix. Mm. So people were fading things down, listening to individual tracks. I mean, make your own mix in that you were mixing it live. Give you a copy or anything. Yeah. So it can be done theoretically, at least for some tracks. So, Mark, Alan, um, Howie, uh, what do we need to do to make this happen? And by the way, speaking of which, notice how I'm kind of reaching out here, even though I know they're probably not listening, to Mark, Howie, Alan. I think what really helped open the floodgates was that the Beach Boys and their people started listening to the fans and gauging their reactions because they had a lot of outreach to the fan community. You had... We'll still have Mark Lynette, Alan Boyd, Howie, uh, Howie uh, Edelson. Edelson. Uh, you had Brad Elliott for a while, who was involved for a long time. You had all that fan outreach. Melinda. Melinda, mm-hmm. too. Then compare this to the Beatles. Now, I have this little thing that I like to call Beatles envy, and I'd like to have that as a topic for a future episode, in which I feel that a lot of Beach Boys fans are just bitterly envious of Beatles related things. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but I think right now we have the exact opposite effect because the Beatles people really don't do any fan outreach. They, it seems to me that their attitude is this is the Beatles. It's going to sell. We're just going to put it some stuff out. And well, the thinking is probably very Steve Jobsian. Like yeah. we're going to tell you what you want. So one apple and another apple thinking the same well, way. Well, Yeah. And it especially occurred to me with the upcoming Let It Be slash Get Back box, also going to be five CDs and I think a Blu-ray or something. What is on those five CDs could fit on three. With Feel Flows, every last second practically was used on all five of those CDs. So for this Beatles set that's going to cost, well, the list price is more, but it's probably going to go down. But it's going to cost roughly the same. You're getting less stuff. When you know there's more stuff they could put on it, one of the CDs is going to be just one version of the album and nothing else after that. They're going to lop it off and all the goodies are going to be on other discs. They did the same thing with Let It Be Naked. They had two CDs, one with the newly remixed version of Let It Be and another that had 20 minutes of outtakes and stuff. That all could have gone on one CD. So they're basically not really doing wisely with fans there's no fan outreach the beach boys there is fan outreach they know what we want and whenever possible it seems they're giving it to us and of course we owe a lot of thanks to irving azoff and the uh, iconic i keep forgetting the name so anyway um let's assume that people prefer their podcast episodes to not go over 90 minutes so we better say just put an end to it End to it. Didn't we already talk about this in the previous episode? That's not well, yeah. a Beach Boys thing. Good, but oh, I did bring well, up the, the Beatles. Well, if the Beach Boys actually made like movies, maybe we would have had more lines to quote. Oh, we will talk about Beach Boys and movies in a future episode, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, just wanted to uh, follow up with a quick addendum on this episode. Lisa and I recorded a lot. We recorded almost two and a half hours and managed to trim this episode down to just a little over 90 minutes. There will be some future releases incorporating the things that we couldn't include, so keep an eye out for that. Coming up next episode, uh, sometime next month probably, I don't know. It's going to be a surprise to all of us, but we have some stuff already recorded. And uh, we'll see what we feel like putting out. Uh, Also, I just wanted to follow up on a few things. 
the sub pop EP that I mentioned earlier, uh, before I get any emails on this, yes, I know that it doesn't have the stack of tracks. Wouldn't it be nice? It's actually the vocals only. Wouldn't it be nice? Also, I forgot to mention the Pet Sounds 50th Anniversary Edition in uh, 2016. That was yet another in a long series of um, archival releases that we were blessed with. Uh, Basically, a slightly enhanced version of the original The Pet Sound Sessions, really. Also, we did find out that Deirdre actually is about a woman, apparently one of Bruce's best friends from way back, and not, sadly, about an Irish setter. Finally, the version of It's a New Day that we mentioned that our friends Dan and Jason did, we will have a link to that mp3 in the show notes at tunex.fab4it.com. But anyway, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the TuneX podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If TuneX isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know. You can email us at tunexpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F-A-B, then the number four, then I-T. Feel free to connect with us on social media. TuneX is on Facebook, and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of Podcast. Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog. All other music and sounds used in this episode remain the properties of their respective copyright holders and are used for the purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. We'll see you next time, friends. Until then, don't don't back back down down from from that that wave. wave. It wasn't carnival on that too. Oh yeah, it it should. You don't like no. carnival? I love it because no. it's so it's, stupid. It's, it's like <laughs> it's like scary clown music. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, here I am. I uh, clowns. No, uh, uh, uh. But yet I love carnival somehow.